Hello and welcome back to another widely expected episode of the Wide World of Wine. This is Tuscany Part 2. So today we're going to be looking at uh, some of the DOCGs in Tuscany. Very important ones, including Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, DOCG, um, Vernacci di San Gramignano, and uh, Brunello di Montalcino, all of which are located on hills. So Tuscany is kind of a um, if you're overlooking it, it's a rather hilly area, and then there'll be like these taller hills that host villages where it was more important to sort of medieval um, Tuscans to have the high ground in um, defensive situations. So you'll you'll see a lot of the uh, these really picturesque sort of Romeo and Juliet looking places uh, that are making wines that are famous for just one specific type of wine made, of course, with all the same grape. It's Sangiovese. Uh, apart from in uh, Vernaccia, that's totally different grape. But we'll talk about Vino Nabila de Montepulciano first, because I think this is one of the more important ones. Um, it comes from the hill of Montepulciano, which is located near the town of Siena in the northern part of Tuscany, despite its proximity to Siena for centuries. Uh, during the Middle Ages, it was allied closely with the Medici family of Florence, who we talked about last time. Um it was seen as a valuable trading partner and asset to their mercantile empire at the time of the production of the wine and the proximity to the town outside of Siena made it very convenient. Uh, it's one of the most important and beautiful places in Tuscany as uh, medieval streets give way to buildings with spectacular Romanesque columns and old acacia oak trees. Um, wild rosemary grows in Galestro. That's that soil that is very famous in Tuscany. People talk about it. It looks like moon sand or something like that. It's a, uh, basically a Kemerigian marl. Um, it's generally a higher portion of limestone and it's kind of a gray brown color, but it's very important to Montepulciano and Montalcino as well, the hill of Montalcino. Um, the smell of new wine can be observed throughout the town. You do smell like the that, that smell of oak or something like that where the aging vessels are when you go to a winery. Breezes from the Mediterranean Sea cascade through the hills here, and you can feel them all day long, even in the intense summer sun. Notably, the church in the middle of the town square is open to guests but is unfinished, and it's more of a tourist attraction. It's locked in a design gridlock between several planning and finance committees. Um... It will be finished, hopefully soon, but I think it's been under construction for quite a long time. Under the town lies a maze of old cellars leading in and out via a series of travertine tunnels and underground aquifers. These were used to escape in case of a siege by the Sienese. The wines are traditionally aged in old Slavonian oak bati. You'll recognize those from the Nebbiolo episodes. The large vessels that are incorporated to prevent too much oxygen exposure and subtly add oak flavor without too pronounced oak in wines that are aged via barrique, which is the t traditional French style. This is more of the Italian style of wine. Sangiovese is required uh, here. It's supposed to be at least 70% of the blend, but the specific clone of the grape varies. Uh, here, the desired clone, by the way, is Prugnolo Gentile. It is used to make wines of variable types of quality. So Vino Nobile... Itself means noble wine. This um, Prunello Gentile is obviously one of the higher quality clones in general, but it looks a lot of different ways um, from smaller berries to larger berries. It's changed a lot. Sangiovese is one of those grapes that's older and has had the time to undergo a lot of mutations. So you see a, a very variable amount of, even, even within the same genus here, 
Um, Vino nobile, again, means noble wine. The term was coined by the Vigneron uh, Adamo Finetti at the, uh, in the 1930s. Uh, it means noble wine. Finetti was a spokesperson for the wines of Montepulciano during the decline of the Chianti period that we talked about last week. Uh, he sought to differentiate the wines from those in the surrounding towns. Finetti was an avid enthusiast of Montepulciano in very much the same way that uh, Agnolo Gaia was for his home of Arboresco. Vino Nobile is a dry red wine consisting of 70% Prignolo Gentile and at least 10% of Caniolo Nero and uh, other local red varieties only. No Trebbiano Toscana is allowed or grown uh, in Montepulciano. Um, so they, they do have a pretty strict quality standard and always have. These wines must be aged in oak for one year and uh, two total grown in the same area. Um, part of this has to do with the higher content of galestro and the varying aspects that are within the hill of Montepulciano itself. Now, along with that, you have another segmentation of wine that's called Vincento. Um, that means wines of the saints, and it's specifically like a communion holy wine. It is a sweet wine once used for communion by the parishes of Italy for centuries. It's made all over Italy. You'll see Vincento from all over, but um, Vincento di Montepulciano is specifically known as one of the higher quality versions. It's also made with Sangiovese, and uh, it is a... Um, it's traditionally served with the hazelnut um, biscotti, so sometimes you'll see it with that or um, charcuterie boards, and uh, it's it's really, really something to try. So if you ever do get over there, make sure you get some Vincento. This is, again, one of the higher quality ones in Italy. Um, it's made via what's called a passamento, where you dry the grapes on straw mats out in attics. And you make wine from the raisins of the grapes rather than from the grapes themselves. That boosts the alcohol and kills yeast earlier. Because remember, when you get to about 16% alcohol, you start to kill the yeast. Um, and it creates a sweet wine with residual sugar and a great palate of minerality that makes for the ultimate pairing with fig and nutmeg biscotti. All right, so now we'll touch on uh, Vernacci de San Grimignano. So San Grimignano is pretty close to the town of uh, Florence. If ever you want to um, visit Florence, you can take the Frecciarossa. It's very fast from Rome uh, to get there. And then um, just outside, there's a lot of different tour companies that will take you in a van out to Vernaccia uh, or to the uh, San Gramignano Hill, and you can try their Vernaccia wine. Um, it's just on the outside uh, of what we call the Cali Fiorentini Chianti zone. Um, it is a very high-quality white grape, which produces flavors of honey, lime zest, white peach, and it's, it has some notable phenolic bitterness as well and crisp acidity. It shows a finish of herbaceous chamomile and mint. These are uh, wines aged in Slavonian oak as well. They're white wines um, just in this one specific place that's uh, mainly to uh, allow some marginal oxygen. Uh, Oxygenation, so you do get a, uh, a little bit of more of an oxidized character sometimes with these wines as well, uh, which adds to the honey and chamomile. Um, not quite as much as you get with the Jura or anything like that, but uh, these aren't aged quite long enough. But this is one that doesn't oxidize real easily. The blends, unfortunately, may include Trebbiano Toscano, that dreaded white grape, um, but generally speaking, it's going to be 
uh, mostly made of the Vernaccia grape. Lastly, and perhaps uh, most importantly as well, uh, we're going to be looking at a grape called uh, Brunello, which comes from the hill of Montalcino. So Brunello is not a place, but rather a nickname for a grape. That grape in question is still Sangiovese, and it's often aptly referred to as the king of Italy, carrying with it the same prestige Cabernet Sauvignon does just a couple of towns over in Bulgaria. Uh, so at any rate, this star champion grape has captivated the hearts of wine enthusiasts, and it is one of the longest aging wines that you can per possibly purchase from uh, Tuscany. I haven't had the chance to talk about clonal variation and massel selection, but we've touched on it a little bit here. There is a lot with Sangiovese. So this one's called Brunello. Again, uh, it is still Sangiovese, but it is a different clone of Sangiovese that is specific to this hill, and that clone does vary in size, type, color as well amongst the vines that are planted, and there's currently a lot of research going on to um, specify which clones are best for what applications. Uh, even on the hill of Montalcino, that very specific spot. And, um, you know, I, obviously you want to have, when, when you're looking at terroir as a concept, the, the more scientific you can get about it, often the better that is for producers because you could pick a larger berry group that has thicker, or larger berried, thicker skin Sangiovese to plant in areas that are more exposed to the sun during the day. A lot of that thinking going on right now in this area. And it's really close to the city of Siena as well. Um, it is also a hill just like Montepulciano. It's really pretty. Uh, it's a smaller town though, and it's not quite as picturesque as Montepulciano. Montepulciano is, it's almost wrapped in the jungle with cathedrals around it. It's really, really something to behold. If you ever can, uh, have a chance to go there or look up pictures or whatever, Montepulciano is a very pretty hill. This one's a little less pretty, but it makes arguably a better wine. Um, though it is the same grape that grows everywhere else under the Tuscan sun. This particular genetic variation is specific to this hill. Brunello uh, really accrued its fame in the early 1900s when uh, Fruccio Biondi Santi of Tenuta Il Greppo in Montalcino first released their first vintage of what they deemed modern Brunello, principally uh, the wines were vinified altogether. Biondi Santi decided to change this and uh, began to vinify and age Sangiovese by itself, separate from any other varietal that was also allowed in the original blends. This gave them an essence of fresh red fruit that would burst on the palate differently than some of the staler, more tannic, older styles. He was also the first to begin to use wooden barrels, a practice that is required today. Oak adds an incredible presence of baking spices and almond to uh, toasted vanilla. The international style did take this region by storm, uh, by the way, and bariques are still pretty common, but um, used less and less these days as Slavonian oak has become, uh, the bati has become more in style. Uh, so Sangiovese is a relatively more tannic wine in general, often described as dusty, aptly, I think. Um, you sometimes get a black olive is associated with this particular hill as well. Uh, this means that Vanurones need to be careful with the tannic influence of oak when vinifying Sangiovese. In the smaller barrel, the more tannic the wine as the barrel imparts its own tannins, and uh, the more surface area of the barrel is in contact with the wine. Vinifying a wine in this manner means tannin will be pulled from the oak, adding extra dryness. But most would say this is a regional characteristic. Today, most producers are aging in Slavonian oak body or large casks, and uh, often vinification takes place in Croatian oak as well. 
um, to read more about the different types of fermenters and aging vessels or to hear more, you can listen to the Barolo podcast. We go over that a little bit more uh, in depth. So uh, a lot of the modern motivated winemaking philosophy involved soft, uh, shortening the fermentation process, which allows for less tannin delivery to the wines via the oak uh, to retain that elemental juiciness and fru- fruitiness. So back in the day, there was only one producer in the area, and Vigneron's needed to sell their grapes at discounted prices to a cooperative or regional negociant by uh, historically this very significant name of Biondi Santi, which became a very major producer in the area. Now it is, of course, a major winemaking powerhouse. You can find those bottles of Total total Wine of Biondi Santi for, you know, 250 bucks. Um, Today there are... Over 200 producers that are strewn across the hill making wine under their own labels, um, which they a lot of them have adapted their own trends or their own um, you know terroir uh, to to fit the taste of their label. So people producer uh, wine buyers rather are are more familiar with their specific take on um, Brunello de Montalcino, which has really allowed the for uh, diversity of production on the hill. Um, these days, they're making less tannic and less oak-influenced wines than they ever were before. Genuinely, this is a prime spot for the loveliest Montalcino in all of Tuscany. The Tuscan sun beats down on these grapes from their prime location on the sides of the hill. And they bud early due to the lower altitudes, um, yet they still have the opportunity to ripen. DOCG regulations prohibit plantings at any higher than 600 meters to avoid any chilly breeze, rendering them unpredictable harvests. Um, They also limit growers to yields of 52 hectoliters per hectare of wine, uh, though most growers in Montalcino sit somewhere under 39 hectoliters uh, per hectare. This ensures the quality of the wine is not diluted by poorer quality grapes. Growers are uh, very concerned in Montalcino with grape quality, often preferring not to use some of the younger vines on their expressive Brunello de Montalcino. Younger vines produce less in the way of character. The older vines on the hill are rife with expressions of elegant minerality and herbaceousness, something that's pretty common to most vinifera grapes, only arriving with vine age. Also notable uh, is the need to age Brunello for extended periods of time in the bottle. Consumers and growers lobbied for a new designation in 1984. They established something called Rosso di Montalcino. This is where that value comes in. Um, you know, what is the value proposition with wine? So it's like, do I want to pay $100 for, you know, a Brunello that I'm going to drink tomorrow? Um, you know, probably not necessarily. But Rosso di Montalcino is an everyday drinking wine. It's a baby Brunello. Every Almost every wine has a baby wine in Italy. There's a um, produced on the same plots. There's a, um, uh, I guess in general has has a um, younger vine or um, different grape version that's very similar to what the producer's characteristic style is. So um, these wines are only required to be aged two years, and they can be drunk right from the bottle as a daily drinker with no need to be bottle aged. They can also be made from the younger vines uh, on the property, allowing them to extract fruit and um, test the vine's flavor profile after they planted. Remember, I said there's a lot of experimentation with um, uh, clonal variation, and I think Rosa de Montalcino has been at the forefront of what the next um, oncoming style of this wine is going to be. So sometimes you can get kind of a sneak preview of the next 30 years for a grower. 
Conditions on Montalcino uh, are also wrought with uh, perfection for these uh, incredible grapes. Sangiovese grown here ripens a week earlier on average than just a few kilometers away in Montepulciano. Uh, this means that bigger, juicier wines with a lot of fresh fruit and supple tannin, uh, part of that also due to um, cloud cover and tree cover. Um, Montepulciano has much more um, of that sort of terrestrial um, look to it uh, where you have a lot of... Uh, vines and trees and, and a lot of that creates um, a shading effect for where it sort of attracts almost like um, wearing black eye paint um, for the football players that wear black eye paint so you'll have uh, the sun will actually beat down on the trees and um, create more of a moisture barrier uh, in some cases for the vines in Montepulciano so that can also play a role too it's also I think uh, Montepulciano is it's just a sunnier um, sunnier area the vast majority of producers, including Biondi Santi, uh, the ever-famous and admirable giant still, uh, still here today, uh, grow their grapes on the southern hill where breezes from the Mediterranean whisper to the east, preventing mold, which is very important, too, in hot areas with uh, higher humidity. Grapes are arranged in patterns suitable to accommodate these easterly breezes. Vineyards are made up of incredibly different soils from producer to producer. The soil nearly constitutes an afterthought here, though, for some producers, while others make blends of Brunello from around their plots in a cuvee style to maximize the efficaciousness of their varied terroir. Most important and desirable soil is the ever-famous, uh, very well-known soil known to the Italians as galestro. It's a dry, um, temperamental, and well-drained type of marl that almost feels like clay in the hands in some cases, but it's a, it's a very silty, um, light gray marl uh, it, with, without much water retention as well. This soil cools the vines down and helps them to slowly ripen the grapes. Other major soils include limestone, which is a staple of Tux Tuscany, as well as uh, just about every other major wine region. Schist, or usually granite or dolomite, of course, volcanic soils that are littered around central Italy. The schistuous wines, or schistuous wines, excuse me, um, have an incredible beam of acidity that acts as a stabilizer to hold the wine's frail red fruit profile um, for as long as the Brunellos should be aged. Limestone-rich soils tend to deduct from the gross mouthfeel of the wine, add lightness as well as minerality and focus, but limestone lends to um, lay towards the topsoil in amounts, just enough to provide as much clarity um, in flavor profile as these can often be hot, rather tannic wines. So on aging, um, two major sanctioned Brunello types, these are Normale and Reserva. Reserva Brunella... Brunello will usually uh, indicate its quality on the label. Normale will not, though Normale is a traditional style of Brunello, hence the name. The laws um, generally bow to the traditional aging of the region. Normale labeled wines are aged for no less than 50 months, four years, and two months, usually released on the first day uh, of the new year, following four years of aging, if that makes sense. Um, Reserva-labeled wines are aged slightly longer. I didn't even know that that would be possible, but the, we're looking at aging time similar to Barolo here. Um, they must be longer, actually. Um, they must be aged for five years. Generally, they will spend another four months in the bottle. This makes these wines incredible agers, and you can still enjoy Brunello for a very long time. In fact, it's pretty much what they're made for is to sit on a shelf for as long as possible. Uh, Montalcino is 
essentially an appellation of very fine aging wines. And uh, the signature flavor profile Brunello is red fruit, cranberry, black cherry, mineral driven sensations, followed by fennel, oregano, dry herbs, and kicking tannins. So as far as recommendations, Cantina di Montepulciano embodies this classic profile very well. It's located on the northern side of the hill through the rough limestone-ridden soils and afternoon shade. It brings nuance and character to this perfumed, elegant, and supple Brunello. Um, this cooperative winery was founded in 1970. This is a co-op. And uh, it's like Protatore de Barbaresco. Um, just comparatively. Um, and it began producing stellar vintages ever since. It's a very, very high quality co-op. Um, this is, though this is a co-op, um, the operations tend to be um, sort of leading the pack in Montepulciano, or in Montalcino, excuse me. And a lot of Northern Hill vintners are members here, uh, maintaining a very high level of quality. So wines are certainly on the tighter, um, more uh, elegant side but certainly not lacking the character of Brunello in any way at all. They, um, they're, they're known for black cherry flavors, bold black cherry flavors, and some under palate flavors of uh, rosemary, pea gravel, uh, even some vanilla bean and licorice. The signature flavor is often what is to be expected from Brunello, a bit of a harsher tannin, lighter but balanced red with a bold flavor. So when critics began tasting vintages of the early 2000s, we're getting into the discussion of the um, international style here. So um, when critics began to taste vintages from Montalcino um, in the early 2000s, they began to become very confused to find that the wines displayed ripe dark fruit, uncharacteristic. And um, in 2008, they even had the regulatory body that oversees the legal designations of origin seize uh, a ton of bottles from Brunello makers, which was a very unexpected move uh, because the Italians usually will look uh, overlook this type of thing in order to help their wine industry. Um, when tested, uh, the bottles did show juice from Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, and even some southern red bulk wine grapes, which is really was a PR nightmare for this area. Critics were not impressed by the outgoing vintages uh, in the early 2000s. Master of Wine, an expert on the region who actually has a book published, her name's Karen O'Keefe, uh, famously stated uh, that these recent examples were so jammy that it was hard to believe that they were Brunello at all. Um, the scandal rocked the wine world as Italian authorities were for forced to crack down on misleading uh, label practices happening industry-wide in Montalcino. This is a lot of producers were caught doing this. Uh, but things have since changed. Um, you know, this style of wine where it's this racy, um, light, bright, acidic, um, exciting, herbaceous wine that's based on the character of the producer and the soil where you're expressing all this stuff is very much in style again. Um, thankfully, so you, you have less of this homogenization, this international style homogenization going on. And that has been really, really good for Montalcino. The, you can see it in the type of wineries that are there now. Um, it still has that sort of like a family feeling, but a lot of wineries that were previously uh, members of 
part of selling their grapes to co-ops or um, you know, selling their grapes off to uh, large negotiants are now bottling their own wines, opening their own wineries, which is also extremely exciting for those uh, producers. So one of them is uh, Patrizia, uh, Patrizia Cencioni, who is a wonderful Brunello producer, also produces an incredible Rosa de Montalcino. I really like her Rosa de Montalcino. This winery is owned and operated by the winemaker herself. And uh, Patrizia bought some property not for the um, not far from the famous winery Biondi Santi in 1989. So it's a, kind of a newer winery, and uh, has been at the forefront of producers in the Montalcino Hill. Today, she and her daughters run winery operations and have managed to buy a beautiful new aging cellar. And they also um, began short aging in barriques as well to wean the winery off of the bold vanilla flavors that were more in style about 10 or 12 years ago. They're instead moving towards tonneau and larger traditional body, uh, body, sorry, at uh, 300 hectoliters. The winery sits uh, about 1,050 feet above sea level on the Montalcino Hill, sprawling under the Tuscan sun for about 100 acres. Some acreage is represented by an olive grove as well, very common for producers in Tuscany to have olives. Um, it also keeps the soil in, in, in place where it's supposed to be. Uh, very, um, very good olive oil as well. Um, they produce a blend which contains Merlot and Cabernet under an IGT label, similar to a Super Tuscan, as well as two uh, Brunellos, one being a Reserva called Solara 123, and her Solara Brunello is a hearty wine showing strong black cherry aromas, as well as baking spices, fennel, and dry oregano. Um, awesome winery if you are on the lookout for a more affordable um, Brunello that still will sit and age. Uh, very nicely. So, um, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the Tuscan wines, the wines grown under the Tuscan sun. Um, hopefully, I will be back in the next two weeks here uh, with another episode of the Wide World Wine Podcast. Um, thank you so much for listening and have an awesome rest of your week. Mm-hmm.